0: Amen. I was uh, drawn this morning and this week as I was preparing and actually the past few weeks there were some scriptures that crossed my mind and I'll reference them as we go through the sermon but I, I want to start as my kind of starting point in scripture this morning and move forward and it's really just a reminder of who Jesus is when he came to earth when he was born in the incarnation and start there and I know you know it's not Christmas yet but it's close enough right? And it really has to do, in Matthew's gospel, with the announcement of the birth of Jesus and what his name would be. And so, if you, if you want, you can turn to Matthew chapter 1, or at least listen along, please. But in Matthew chapter 1, and in verse uh, 21, and the angel comes and tells Mary, and, or, I'm sorry, Joseph, and the angel says to Joseph, Son of David, in verse um, 20, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, And she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why Jesus? For it is he who will save his people from their sins. Yeshua. He will save his people from their sins. What do you mean? We are in a time when we still feel that presence of sin all around us. But this idea of saving from sins is not only for God's people that's prophetic, but it carries out across to all of us. When Jesus died for the sins of the world, as John records in the gospel there, and Jesus dies, why? To save people from their sins. It's not the sins themselves. He saves them from what comes as a result of the sins from a just God. And you know what the Bible teaches that we are saved from? We're not saved from sin itself. Not all we are, but we are saved from God's wrath. That's what we're saved from. And it's nice to be soft and cushy and cuddly and warm, and we should, because God saved us from all the evils of sin, all the consequences. the ultimate consequence is the wrath of God and we're spared that we are saved that and so if we could just think about that for a minute that a just God because he is holy and there had to be punishment for sins if we don't believe that that punishment was paid for and taken care of by Jesus his son yes we face the wrath of God but we are saved from God's wrath. And Paul writes about that in his epistles. He writes about us being saved from the wrath of God. He will save his people from their sins. Now, we have this program that at least in my lifetime it was introduced and a lot of us follow it and and we, we adhere to it because it's a good thing. Just generally, it's a good thing. It's a good thing in the physical, natural, material world that we live in. So, we all do the three R's, don't we? With our, with our garbage. With our used things, right? I'm assuming we all do. I say we all do. But I'm, you should. It really is important. And we, we, don't, we don't worship this planet. We worship the creator of this planet. But because we're here, we take care of this planet as God's people as much as we can. Right? We do. So the three R's. What are the three R's? Reduce reuse recycle right so we do that with our trash and things that we've used up and it's a good thing it, it helps to keep things clean orderly uh, not 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 exhausting energy that we have or using up energy and so on and so forth there are a lot of good things about the three R's and that whole program uh, and the whole point of that is so that there's a, a future that's sustainable with these items right that's, that's the words that we use. A future that is sustainable by reducing, reusing, and recycling. Yes? All right. That's what we do it for. But listen, those are all good things in the natural, material, physical world. But can I tell you that when it comes to the spiritual world, when it comes more specifically to sins, and, and, and all the things that, that we deal with regarding that in the spiritual world, the evil, the wickedness, there is no, regarding sin, there is no three R's program with God. And there shouldn't be with you. There shouldn't. We should throw those out. Those are good for the material, physical world. Hopefully you do it. But when it comes to the spiritual, regarding our sin, please don't live a life and exercise the three R's by reducing, reusing, and recycling. Listen, God doesn't want you as His child, I'm talking to you if you're a child, to reduce your sins. God a, that's not God's plan. God's plan for you is to not reduce your sins. Your sins are taken care of. We'll talk about that. They're gone. He doesn't want you to just, just reduce them and just do a few here and a few there. I've reduced them so I'm better. It's sustaining my future as a better person. No, 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 no. That falls far short of God's expectation. He doesn't want you to reuse them. And even more, He doesn't want you to recycle your sins. See, some of us, and not all of us, but some of us can fall into the trap of reusing our sins, and we reuse them in this way, to bolster our identity, a victim mentality, or a certain identity that gets us attention. Some of us struggle with that, and we can't break free of that, but let me tell you something. When you're free, you are free indeed, when Jesus sets you free. You don't have to reuse and recycle your sins. Listen, all those things, God does not do any of those. He doesn't reduce, he doesn't reuse, he doesn't recycle sin. He can't have anything to do with it. Neither should we. So how does God and how did God and how does God handle our sins? How does he do that? As we approach communion in a few minutes, how does he handle our sin? Well, first of all, in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 to 6, we see that the prophet writes about the coming Messiah and what he would do and he would suffer and die for sins. And we're familiar with this scripture, but in verse 4 he starts and he says, Surely he took up our pain, and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. It's a word for sin. There's different words for sins, but it's one of those, the transgressions. We cross over and we break the law. We have transgressions. He was crushed For our iniquities, we missed that mark. And and the punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. We are made whole in our spirit. We're brought back to God. We all, like sheep in verse 6, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity. Another word for sin. The iniquity of us all. How did God handle our sin? He took it upon himself and his son Jesus. Jesus himself took our sins upon himself. Imagine, or this is the image I should say, of the scapegoat in Leviticus chapter 16. And so many of us are familiar with this already if you know Bible history. And we go back to the Old Testament to understand this. And there's a scapegoat or a substitute in our place. There's a transference of sin that was upon that goat and then it was sent out into the wilderness. And once a year, that priest would come and he would take all the sins of the people, he'd lay hands on that goat and it would transfer all the sins were upon that goat or that that, that animal and it would go out into the wilderness. Gone forever. Get away, get as far away from the camp of these people as we can go. Go. There's a transference. And it was it was put upon. He bore our sins, Jesus. In fact, First Peter, uh, Peter writes in his first uh, letter, it's, uh, chapter two, verses twenty four to twenty five, and he's quoting Isaiah. He says, "He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins, not reduce them, not reuse them, not recycle, but die to them." We're crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lived, but Christ who lives in me, Paul wrote in Galatians 2. That we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, Peter says. For you were like sheep gone astray, but now, he says, you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Oh, what a Savior. What a Savior we have who took our sins upon Himself and He took them on that cross and He took them all away from us. Transfer, they were transferred, imputed. They were, given to, they were given to Jesus in that moment. He took them and He died and they were gone forever. Oh man, what a powerful thing that He took them. Can you imagine if you had to take your own sins and do, take care of them the right way? You'd have to give your life. Jesus did it for us. He bore our sins, as Peter said, on the cross. Secondly, God handles our sins not just by taking our sins upon himself in Jesus, but God handles our sins by covering our sin by Christ's blood. Now, This list and this little thing I'm going through is not exhaustive. There are many other things and ways in which God handled our sin and there's overlap here and you'll you'll hear and other things might come to your mind if you're a Christian and just it'll awaken and bring to memory those things that God did in handling your sin. And to understand what it means that he covers our sins by Christ's blood, we go back to the Old Testament again. The sacrificial system that was in place for so long. And this imagery about covering our sins is taken from the day of atonement. That concept of atonement. And on this day, the high priest, he took blood from a sacrificial animal. He carried it and that carried that blood into the most holy place there's the outer courts, there's the inner courts, there's the holy place, there's the holy of holies, and there's that curtain that separates, and once a year that priest goes, and he takes that blood of that sacrificial animal, and he goes in, with a rope attached to his ankle and bells. I mean, it's an amazing thing. In case he died, they could pull him out because he was in the presence of God. But he goes in and he sprinkles blood on the mercy seat, the covering of the Ark of the Covenant. And he goes there where God's presence rested. He makes that sacrifice, that atonement, that sprinkled blood symbolically covered the broken law and shielded the sinner from judgment. There, and there's so much more if we have I. If you would let me talk for two hours, I would. To talk about the concept of propitiation as well and how that fits in with atonement and with the depth of that. Please look it up, check it out, study it. But you'll find that in the atonement, that covering, that it, that sacrifice is made to cover. And now what's visible there is that blood that was sufficient to ward off, to keep God's wrath and judgment away. And it's significant because in Psalm 32, David writes about his own sin. And if you look there, in verse 5, David there was trying to cover his sin. <laughs> it's amazing how when we in our own effort, we can't cover our sin. And in time, everything gets exposed, doesn't it? We see the fruit of it. It gets exposed, right? But when Jesus comes along, he covers it and shields from God's wrath. And then God doesn't even see that sin, but he sees that satisfactory sacrifice and, 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 and that was made on the cross. The shedding of that blood for the remission of sins. And here's the sinner shielded from God's judgment. It was God's expectation that there is an atonement. And in verse 1 in Psalm 32, God actually covers David's sin. But David tried so long to cover it, but when David said, no way, I can't do this anymore because I'm wasting away, I'm tired, I'm weary, but if I just fess up, God, you've covered it. in verse 1, he starts off by saying that God's already covered his sin God covers our sin by Christ's blood. When something is covered, it's hidden from view. Does it mean it doesn't exist? In a sense, in God's eyes, it doesn't because He doesn't see it. He knows, but it's it's covered, out of view. God doesn't see it. He doesn't even consider it. In a sense, He looks at the blood, and it satisfies Him. God puts our sin out of His sight, out of His sight. And this segues, and by the way, if you want to, the evidence of this, if you find, Paul writes in Corinthians that he, his satisfaction, I mean, his, his sacrifice was sufficient. That the one who knew no sin took our sin and he bore it on the cross. And it was satisfying. And in Hebrews, it's all about that. That it was a satisfactory sacrifice. Hebrews is all about that. That once and for all, Jesus shed his blood. And he was the propitiation. He was the atonement. He covered it. And the segues, this idea of covering segues right into the next thing that God does with our sin and how He handles it. See, thirdly, God does this. He does not charge us with the sin against us. No, really. He doesn't charge you with the sin that is against you. And it's, there's this bookkeeping concept here. And we find that in Romans chapter 4, Paul writes about it pretty extensively and I think very clearly it's a bookkeeping concept, and you have all these debts and all the, all the good things, and we we try to put up all these good things we've done, but the list of all the debt that our sin incurs is so overwhelming and insurmountable, you can't pay it off, and it's there, and the ledger is weighed so heavily in one side, and Paul says in Romans chapter four verses six to eight, and he quotes David from Psalm thirty two, he says. Quote, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Verse 7, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Covered. Do you believe that this morning? That your sins are covered? Covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. I'm not saying it. This is God, the word of God. This is the God who reveals himself this way, as the one who forgives and covers our sins. Of course, if God did not forgive our sins, he could not hold them against us, if that makes sense. And that's why Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood. And he explains what that is, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. He doesn't hold our sin against us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you don't. And we pray as Jesus taught the disciples in Luke chapter 11, part of what we call the Lord's Prayer, Although more more accurately, maybe that's found in John's gospel. But he says, this is how you should pray. Forgive us our sins. Why? For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Oh, thank God that he doesn't charge that sin against us. And, and, And we know that because he forgives us and he's a forgiving God. Hallelujah. Fourthly, God handles our sin... By not holding them against us, but also by cleansing us of them. A very simple point, but needs to be noted as a separate little note here. That he cleanses us of our sins. Now, let me give you an example, okay? I'm guarding myself, All right. So, we all have children, right? A lot of us have children. And when one of your children lies to you, what do you do? And you know it, what do you do? What do you do? I mean, that, that's happened to me, right? And you can go back and forth and, did you do this? Did you, nope, did you do this? And you know, and use evidence, and you, nope, I didn't do it. And then, finally, yeah, I did. Why don't you just tell me? Why don't you just tell me? I'm not mad or angry with you. I love you, and I don't want you to do that again because it is wrong. But listen, if that child lied to me, let me ask you a question. Would you walk around and say, you're a liar. You sinned. You're a liar. That's who you are. You're a liar. Do you do that? You do? I mean, is that what you do? Over and over again? I mean, I don't even do that the first time because the more you do that, and God doesn't do that with us. He doesn't call you a liar. He doesn't call you a thief. He doesn't call you a sinner over and over again. He called you a child of God, a saint, he knows you sinned, and you acknowledge that, and I acknowledge that, and that's why we have 1 John 1, to 7-9, and listen to this, if, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Our identity is not that my son's identity or your daughter's identity, because they lied to you, is not liar there's still a Carrillo or a Geruda or a Rainey or a Russo or a whatever your last name is. That's who they are. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Oh, we acknowledge that. We're not perfect. We sin. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I think we all have memorized that if we're Christians. What a powerful scripture that we can go to over and over again. He cleanses us over and over again, past, present, future, when we come to Him, because it's covered already and He sees us not as. Whatever you think your identity is. No, he sees you as his child. He sees you as one who's forgiven and bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. He cleanses you. What about that picture where you're filthy rich? And this is this is not a good analogy in a sense because this cleansing that happens of our sins is from the inside out, right? But man, you come in and you've been working hard and you're tired and you're weary and you're bruised and whatever and you're scratched and you've been working in the yard for eight, nine hours and like Phil, cutting down trees for hours and hours and moving things in the yard, and he's tired and he's sick of it, and he's dirty, and he just feels so cruddy. And even when he's tired, he jumps in the shower and he comes out and he's shiny clean, right? And Caroline, his wife, actually wants to sit next to him because he's clean and he smells good, right? You get the idea. There's a cleansing, you wash it all away, and that's what happens. When you take a shower after feeling that way, you feel better. You might still be tired, but you feel better at least physically, even if it's for the short term. But Jesus cleanses us the same way, but from the inside out. And you know what? We are brought into a new state. We're given a new nature. We're children of God. What a powerful thing that he cleanses us. I'm going to move along. Fifthly, God not only cleanses our sins, but he handles our sins by throwing our sins behind his back. This, I love this scripture. I love this scripture so much in Isaiah chapter 38. And it's an account of, of Hezekiah who kind of, he messed up, right? We say he messed up. There was sin in his life. He wasn't doing the right thing. And he suffered physically, emotionally, spiritually. He was hurting. His leadership was hurting. And, and, he, and he says in verse 17, after he turned back to God, he says, Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. It's a picture of God saying, you turn back to me, I'll take your sins, and here I am. I, I was tempted to take something big and nasty and just chuck it past behind me this morning, but I won't do it, I didn't do it. But that's what it is. He takes that sin and he throws it behind his back. And this phrase, behind your back, is found in other places in the Old Testament. See, the Lord accused Israel of rejecting Him, rebelling against Him, falling, failing to love and respect Him, failing to trust and obey Him even. They threw the Lord behind their backs. And they were stiff-necked. They were so stiff-necked in doing their own thing that they couldn't even look back to the Lord. And he kept calling out and drawing and calling and drawing and calling. Come, come, come. And he's calling out to a stiff-necked people who are so stubborn just like we are sometimes, aren't we? You know. I can relate to that. But anyway, if you want to know what it's like, talk to me. It's not good. They threw the Lord behind their backs like people do with things or other things they want to discard because they love their sin. They love what they're doing and they just keep going. They suppress what's right and they just keep going. The Lord loved them as his cherished bride. But Israel ran after false gods and idols, rejected the Lord, and they grieved God's heart. Just like when your child lies to you, you're not, yes, you're, you're angry, but not in that angry, condemning way. You're, 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 you're grieved. It's like a righteous indignation. And you love, and you want them to change, and you want them to be everything God wants them to be, just like God wants us to be and live like his people. And so the Lord calls them to repent or else there's dire consequences. See, here's the beautiful thing. God notices when we turn our backs on Him. That is a beautiful thing. Because when we do, He starts calling out to us all the time. He never gives up. He keeps calling and calling and calling. And King Hezekiah in chapter 38 of Isaiah, he realized that his sin caused physical suffering and that he deserved to die. And so he turned away from his wrong and he came back to God and he could say, in your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. Hezekiah announced that the Lord wonderfully, amazingly, graciously forgives whoever returns to him. And when we we turn to him, we face him and we hand over our sin to him. God takes it. He does. And he goes, And he keeps going further and further away. It's behind God. He's not visiting it. You know what? I could say God is kind of stiff-necked toward our past sins. He's walking away and not turning back. And even more, and lastly, as we come to the last thing that God, how God handles our sins, and there are many more. Psalm 103, verse 12, a very familiar passage to us. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You see, this is the most amazing thing, that with everything God did in handling our sins already, the most, I love the way he handles this sin. And, if, and it segues right after this idea of turning it, throwing it behind our back. He removes our sins far, far away from us. Do you believe that this morning? Do you know that this morning? Not just believe, but do you know that he's removed your sins far, far away from you, as far as the east is from the west? And for those of you who might not be familiar, a lot of you already know this, but if you're not familiar with this, why does the writer, why does the inspired writer say this? Because you can go north and south. You go to the North Pole, and if you go to a certain point, what do you start doing? You start heading south. You go to the South Pole, and you go a certain way, you start heading where? In fact, almost any decision, any way you turn, you start walking, you start going north again. But if you go east to west, you can go east forever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. Are you sick of hearing ever yet? Because that's how far away the sins get removed from us. And it's not even just that you keep going east, but God takes it, whew, chucks it, and he goes west, and the sins go east. And that's how, and it keeps separating and separating. That's how far away it keeps going farther and farther away. And it's so far, far behind that again, as Micah says in chapter seven, verse 19, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He's stopping all over them saying they're done. They're over. They're gone. I'm going to destroy them. And he says this, you will cast all our sin into the depths of the sea. He tramples them, he takes them, he throws them down, he tramples, he defeats them, he stomps on their neck, if you will, destroys their sin, and then he keeps walking, but then he takes them, he picks them up, and he throws them into the deepest sea. I don't know what you have or what sin you might be holding on to, but can I just give you an image for your mind so that you can hopefully practice by faith in your spirit and in your spiritual journey. What's that sin that you keep holding on to in your life? And God's already cast it, but you want to keep searching for it and bringing it out and not letting it go. Listen, if He's cast that into the Mariana Trench, into the ocean, at 27,000 feet below the surface of the sea, you will never find that sin again. If you threw your key in the ocean and you're out in 20,000 feet of water, you will never find that key again. I'm telling you, you'll never find that key again. If they haven't even explored, what is it, Cohen, 20% of the entire ocean yet? How are you going to find a key in the deepest part of the ocean? That's what God does with your sin. He destroys it and then throws it into the deepest sea and it's gone. And you know how I know it's gone? Because I'll read one more scripture before we have communion. Jeremiah says in thirty-one thirty-four, and he writes about the new covenant and how God's going to write the law on their hearts. There's going to be a spiritual transformation. The heart is changed. The spirit is given. And they're going to know God for themselves. And he says, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. He's not doing that. If he threw into the sea, he's not going back and diving down, you know, going way down into that trench to find your sin. He doesn't do that. It's gone. If you search throughout Scripture, you will find even how much more amazing, wonderful things with our sins that God does. And they, they cause us to, to come to Him with gratitude and humility, with worship and rejoicing that He has taken care of our sins and made us new creations in Christ. I'm going to ask you to take your cup that's in front of you. There should be one in the front, in the seat in front of you. We're going to have communion, and if you would carefully open that little, little thin foil uh, film on top, and you can access the wafer. I'm going to ask you to open that thin wafer. I mean, a uh, film up on top very carefully, and you can take that wafer out and hold it in your hand. And when we're done, you can flip the bigger. Tab underneath and open the juice in a moment. Don't open it yet, just so we stay neat. See, here's the thing. I want your attention. I know you're focusing on the cup. God gets rid of our guilt and sin's penalty when He justifies us. Should all be saying Amen? And Jesus also removes sin's power when He regenerates and sanctifies us. No longer has a hold on you. It's not supposed to. Just read Romans 6. And listen, the Lord will eventually take away sin's presence forever when He comes and takes us to be with Him on the last day. Praise you, Lord. Man, the penalty is gone because of what Jesus did, and we're justified. And sin's power is taken away because we're regenerated and sanctified. You don't have to be a slave to sin. It's present and it's all around. It's rearing its ugly head, but you don't have to be bound to it. And we're looking forward to that day when it's going to be altogether gone, when we're with Jesus. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, as you hold that wafer, Jesus said at the Last Supper, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when He had given thanks he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. For what? For the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so we drink now while we're here on this earth and we eat now because we remember we proclaim the Lord's death, but we also proclaim and rejoice in the fact that His shed blood has, He has, can I use the expression, He has manhandled sin until it's far away from us as possible. We stand on that. We live by that as His people. And so we do it gratefully. Lord, we thank You for coming for us. We thank You as we hold this way for, Lord, in our hand. We thank You that You came in the incarnation. You took on flesh. You lived a perfect life. You were sinless and You died for our sins in our place. And You took care of them. Thank You, Lord, for Your blood that washed away and cleansed And Lord, I praise you, Lord, that you've given us a new slate. And because of of your cleansing, Lord Jesus, and because of what you did in the cross, you covered our sins. It was the perfect and ultimate atonement. We thank you for it, Jesus, that we are now in this new covenant and we await while we celebrate what you've done to drink and eat of this cup and eat of this bread and drink this cup with you anew in heaven one day when we're with you, praising you and worshiping you forever and ever because we will be free from sin's presence. Help us, Lord, to remember that as we walk, Lord, we are cleansed, Lord. We are, we are freed from the penalty of sin, but Lord, we are also, Lord, free from that power of sin. Help us to walk. We're full of your spirit and your word in our lives. We thank you and praise you, Lord. Let's eat of the bread together. And if you would carefully open the cover to your cup. Praise you, Lord. And let's drink together this cup of the new covenant. Praise your name. Lord, we thank you again for this day. I ask you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would just remind and invigorate, Lord, just, just our gratitude and our praise and our humility and our thanks and our rejoicing because of how you've handled our sin. But as we walk, we walk out with joy. We celebrate what you've done for us. And we take the gospel, the good news, That Jesus, you died for our sins. And you're coming back again to take us. Help us, Lord, to carry that message boldly and confidently. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Jesus has taken care of all your sins. Amen.